Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I like that. Amen. When I, it's funny how things go round. They just, there's nothing new. White tie, skinny tie, white tie, skinny tie. You know, it just comes back and forth. Pleated pants, unpleated pants. When I was young, they would criticize churches like ours, like yours, because they'd say all they do there is preach John 3.16. Well, I doubt if that's true, but I don't like your attitude toward John 3.16. <laughs> you may preach something other than John 3.16, but you'll never preach anything better than John 3.16. Now they're all gospel-centered. Of course, what some of them mean by that is if you preach anything other than the gospel, then you're missing the main point of the Bible. So don't tell people how to live. Just tell them God loves them, Jesus died for them, they can live like the devil. But he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Wow. Like to see Benny Hinn try that. <laughs> Pretty good success. Every sickness, every disease. Verse 36, though, starts with the word of contrast, but... In spite of that great success, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto the disciples, his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Lord, I pray that you'd guide me and empower me and direct me by your spirit tonight. Thank you for the wonderful music. Sure was blessed, all of us were, by the choir. Loved hearing Brother Holder sing. Glad he sang three songs. Lord, I thank you that we've had the privilege of coming together. If we left now, it had been worth coming in. But would you accomplish your purpose for us in this time and help me to be easily steered? If you want me to add anything, leave anything out? And then bind the devil and his demons. You told us they try to snatch away from our heart soil the seed of your perfect word. Keep them from that. Help us to hear and to obey and to be good ground. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name for everything you do tonight. Amen. Amen. It is a wonderful privilege that we as believers have to join with fellow Christians in prayer. You know, somebody say, pray for this, and you pray with them, and wow, God answers, and you feel like you entered into their labor, you're part of their concern, you got to be part of the blessing. I want you to pray for a friend of mine named Mike Thomas. Mike Thomas is a Christian attorney, and he's a wonderful Christian. His business card says, integrating biblical and legal principles. He's in the hospital on a ventilator with COVID. The doctor says his chances of living are in the single digits. And if we pray and God heals him, we'll feel like we were part of what the Lord did. Has anybody ever asked you to pray for something and you forgot? <laughs> They'll come by and say, hey, remember I should pray for such and such? And you think, oh, brother. Uh, Lord, please bless them, amen. Yes, yes, I remember that. I was praying for that earlier today. Just a very little bit earlier today. <laughs> What if Jesus asked you to pray for something for him? Would you do it? What if he already did and we forgot?
In this passage, we have what has been called Jesus' only prayer request. Now, he told us to pray after a certain model, an outline, the Lord's Prayer. We call it a model prayer, an outline for prayer. He told us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but the only thing he ever asked us to pray for on his behalf is in this passage. Pray ye therefore, Jesus says, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth labors into his harvest. We see in this passage the Savior's perception. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved to compassion because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What would you do if somebody fainted tonight? Would you laugh at them? Hey, look at him fainting in church. <laughs> They're going to be embarrassed when they wake up. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Somebody fainted, you'd try to help them. You'd get by, you'd fan them. You'd get them some smelling salts. You'd... Oh, get one of the long socks and rub it under your nose. <laughs> it's interesting how we perceive the unsaved world. I was way up in northern Michigan, Upper Peninsula, a little town called Pickford. Our school was having a camp there. We'd rented a campground. And my wife and I went to the grocery store to buy some supplies. There were no fast food restaurants in that little town. And the teenagers came to the grocery store for lunch. And there came in a guy that had seven spikes sticking up out of his hair. Never seen anything like that. Looked like he put motor oil on his head and then stuck it in the freezer overnight. <laughs> I said to my wife, get a little of that. You got to see that. And she laughed. I don't know why you do that. I guess if you turned him upside down and turned him around real fast, he could be a post hole digger. <laughs> We see these people, they do strange things. Used to be a style, I'm glad it's passed now, but probably about 15 years ago, the style was for ladies to wear their blouse so that it did not meet their whatever else they're wearing under there, and their belly button showed. Every, every lady had to prove she had a belly button. They could be 400 pounds, and they'd have to show their belly button. And then they had a ring in it, remember that? They'd have a ring in there by their belly button. I guess that was so if they fell over, the crane would have something to hook onto it. Strange. I was in a Target store one time. I, I haven't gone back maybe but once since they had their transgender bathrooms. So this was years ago. I was getting some medicine at the pharmacy. It was a long line and it was slow, but the lady behind the counter was very friendly and very helpful. I got up to the counter. She had more metal in her face than anybody I'd seen before or since. Several earrings in each ear, something by the eyebrows, something here in the nose, something here in the nose, something here in the lips. Very nice lady. I gave her a tract. I said, hey, come visit First Baptist to Bridgeport. We'll be nice to you. And she said, thanks. Most pastors aren't. I figured I knew why, but I played dumb, which is not hard for me. I don't live very far from dumb. <laughs> I said, why? She said, because of this. And I got a hunch it wasn't a Lutheran pastor giving her that reaction. It wasn't an Episcopalian. And that's sad. 
Before anybody told her that God loved her, before anybody told her that Jesus died to pay for her sin and she could have eternal life if she trusted in him, they had to let her know they didn't like that stuff in her face. We get all upset because these unsaved people in the world, why they're behaving like a bunch of unsaved people. It's not how Jesus saw them. He saw them as people who are scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd, and people who fainted. Savior's perception. But then notice the Savior's passion. When he saw them, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. I'm no Greek scholar, but they tell me that word moved with compassion. That word compassion is the strongest word for emotion that exists in the Greek language. They say that it means to have the internal organs yearn. You ever hear something bad happen to somebody who actually felt a twinge inside? Some of these statistics are old. But I'm told this is pretty current. Every day, 219,000 more people are born than die. Population of the world increases by 219,000 people a day. I'm told that 140 or 50,000 people die every day. Rapid cities, what, around 70,000? Almost twice the population of your town dies every day, and most of them go to hell. If the whole population of Rapid City died at one time, it'd make world news. Everybody would have compassion and try to help, but that many people die and go to hell every day. I'm told if you took all the unsafe people in the world and put them in a single file line, it would circle the globe seven times, 175,000 miles, and it gets 20 miles longer every day. I'm told if we kept winning people to Christ at the rate we're doing it now, it would take, if we could stop all the deaths and stop all the births and keep the population static, and we kept winning people to Christ like we are now, it would take 400 years to win America to Christ and 4,000 years to win the world to Christ. Because you can't stop all the deaths and you can't stop all the births. The thing is about those statistics, they may affect us a little, but nobody will have trouble going to sleep tonight. Nobody will find it impossible to enjoy a midnight snack. It matters to us, but it doesn't move us. But it wasn't that way with the Lord Jesus. He was moved with compassion. The Savior's perception, the Savior's passion And then notice the Savior's problem. You say, does the Lord Jesus have problems? Well, he has us. Here's what he said. He said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Hey, you hear people say, well, you know, you just can't win people to Christ like you used to. We live in a gospel-hardened society. America has lost its original foundation of godliness and faith, and you can't win people to Christ like you did anymore. Now, you mark down two things whenever you hear somebody say that. 
Number one, they haven't been out talking to too many people. You talk to enough people, you'll see somebody willing to trust Christ. Number two, they disagree with Jesus, and I think I'd rather listen to Jesus than to those doomsday prophets. No, the Lord said the opportunity was large. The harvest is plenteous. Would everybody say that with me? The harvest is plenteous. Would you say it again, please? The harvest is plenteous. My dad used to tell the story about a man named Peter Apples. He was an older man who volunteered for the Civil War. I do not know which side he was on, which makes it convenient for me when I tell this story, whether I'm in the North or the South. Because he was older than the other recruits and he just brought a rusty old squirrel rifle with him to the battle, uh, the younger guy said, we got to watch out for Peter. When the battle starts, we got to take care of him. But when the first battle came, the bullets started whizzing and the shells started howling and the smoke and the, the dust filled the air and the screams of man uh, filled the ears of the soldiers. It was every man for himself. In time, the shooting stopped and the battle ended. Somebody looked around and said, where's Peter? I thought you were watching them. I thought you were watching them. They began to remonstrate themselves. And just then, they saw somebody walking towards them, couldn't make out who it was, and one with a little better eyesight peered down after him. And he said, that's Peter. That's Peter Apples, and he's got somebody with him. And the closer he got, the more they could see Peter Apples had his rusty squirrel rifle pointed at the back of an enemy soldier. He had captured a prisoner. He not only survived, he was the only one in their outfit that captured an enemy prisoner, and they were amazed. They said, Peter, Peter, how'd you do that? Well, he said, the woods are full of them. Y'all could have had one if you wanted to. (laughs) Yeah. Woods are full of sinners. Preacher talked about the declining population of our city, but you know what? We never ran out of sinners. We'd always find somebody with whom to share the gospel. We're always able to see people say the opportunity is large. But the outreach was limited. The laborers are few. In the economy of God, there has never been a harvest problem, but there has been a labor problem. Labors are really important. So that brings us to the Savior's petition. He says, would you pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors? It is a singular petition. Only one thing that Jesus asks us to pray for in his behalf. You ladies ever call your husband on his way home from work and ask him to do one thing? Or maybe earlier in the day, he asked you know, bring home bread, get some milk. I won't ask how often that works out. When my wife would call me and ask me to do that, I would have to take a sticky note, put it on the office door so that I saw it right before I walked out to my car. And if I did that, there was a 50-50 chance I would remember it. <laughs> Just one, just one request. Could you remember one? I told the preacher when I was pastoring, I asked all of our adult classes to start with blessings, prayer requests, and jokes. 
And there's a reason for that. And, and uh, I would do it when I taught my class. Always tried to remember all the requests without writing them down just to make sure I focused on them and concentrated on them and was paying attention to the burdens and the needs of the people. Jesus just gave us one. Could you remember one? It's a singular petition. It's a simple petition. Pray for labors. And would you say that with me? Pray for labors. Let's try that again. Pray for labors. I bet you I could remember that. I bet you can remember that. But it's a significant position. Labors are really, really important. We didn't put an attendance board up at our church when I was pastoring, but I had one board up that we had every week, and it, it, was, it was a soul winning board. We put out the number of people that went out soul winning that week, the number of contacts they made, and the number of people they led to Christ out and about. Not people saved in the services, but people who saved as we went out knocking on doors. So this would be a fairly typical board for the last year, two, three of my ministry. Let's say that we had 227 people out soul winning. And they made 2,340 contacts, and they saw 11 people saved. What if we wanted to see 22 people saved instead of 11? I'm not real smart, but I bet you if we had 442 instead of 221. And I bet you if we made like uh, 2,800 contacts instead of 2,400 contacts, I bet you we probably could see 22 people saved instead of 11 people saved. Labors are really important. People talk about how the devil's going to try to stop the work of God. Well, they say the government's going to become increasingly intrusive, and I think that's true, and I think that's happening. I think there are people in positions of power that would love it if every church like this shut their doors forever. But you know, government can't stop the gospel. In China, when Chiang Kai-shek was dethroned, deposed, and Mao Zedong became the dictator, there were three to four million believers in that country. And now, after 70-some years of totalitarian rule, there are 80 to 100 million believers in the nation of China by number. It may now be the most Christian nation. That is that percentage, but more Christians than any country in the world. You can't stop the gospel by government. You say, well, the devil go after the leader, shoot at the brass buttons. The Bible says that. I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, I've seen churches devastated by the failure of a leader. But I've been in those churches and I've seen, though, there's a significant effect in a generation of young people who are lost. I've seen another pastor come and the work go forward and the reputation improve and the ministry continue. But I'll tell you one way you could stop the work of God overnight. Let there be no laborers. Nobody sings in the choir. Nobody plays the instruments. Nobody sets up the chairs. Nobody turns on the lights. Nobody makes sure the temperature is 61. <laughs> it all falls apart overnight. If there's no laborers. People at First Baptist of Bridge were very kind to me. They give me great liberty. 
Pastored the church 44 years. Had one deacons meeting a year, most years. If I needed more, I'd have more. Most years, one deacons meeting lasted about seven minutes. They'd come into my office. I stood in front of the desk. None of us sat down and went over the budget for the year, asked for any questions, talked about anybody they thought would be a deacon, and we were done. Had one business meeting most years. It lasted about five or six minutes. We had a report from the auditor. He told everything, everything was audited. Uh, I, we had uh, budget proposed, and we usually have zero questions and give them a ballot, and they vote on the budget. I had great liberty. If I wanted to hire somebody, I hired them. Wanted to fire somebody, I fired them. Wanted to support a missionary, I supported them. Wanted to start a ministry, I started it. Did whatever I thought the Lord wanted me to do. They were kind to me. Nobody messed with me. Now, you don't have to do it that way. That's just how we did it. But it's not wrong to do it that way. No record ever in the Bible of deacons making decisions. Bring it to me and show me. I'll give you a hundred bucks. As long as it's in the King James, it may be in the NIV. <laughs> now, we're, we're accountable. Everything was audited every year. And uh, we, had, we had an account when I was pastoring called the Iran-Contra Arms for Hostages Slush Fund. Well, that's what I call it. It's called the surplus account. It was money that came to our church from other sources. Former members sent us in some money. We had a guy give driving tests on our property. He'd give us some money every month. I put it in Iran Contra. So if I didn't have any money in the budget, wanted to help a missionary or take care of somebody's needs, give a bonus to the staff, I had some place to get it. That was audited. Everything was checked out. But do you know why I led the First Baptist Church of Bridgeport with that liberty? Because they let me. All they had to do is not show up for a couple of weeks and it's over. <laughs> Labors really matter. It all dries up overnight if you have no laborers. A simple petition, a singular petition, a really significant petition. He was 15 years old. He was burdened about his soul. He later said, I envied the horses in the field and the toads by the side of the road because I knew they had no soul like to perish under the weight of its sin as mine was. And in his quest, he one day happened into a little chapel on a snowy Sunday. The snow was so bad, the regular preacher didn't come. Just a handful of people gathered. And they got together to decide what to do and it fell on one of them to preach. The young man said later he was obviously a workman sort of man. But he found a good text. He opened his Bible to Isaiah and he read, Look unto me all the ends of the worlds and be ye saved. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And the young man said in his text, I found a glimmer of hope. He said in about five minutes, the man ran out of things to say. But you wish you'd been in that service. And then he spied this visitor under the balcony and he knew he wasn't a regular attender and he looked at him and he pointed at him and he said, young man, you look very miserable to me. The young man later said, I was, but I was not accustomed to having remarks made about my person from the pulpit. 
And then he said, and you'll always be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death unless you obey my text. But he said, young man, if you obey my text, you can be saved this instant. Oh, he said, young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. The young man later said, I did. And in that instant, the scales fell away and he pointed forever to that day as the moment of his conversion. He said, I could have risen and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the love of God and the blood of Jesus, which cleanses the sinner. And in that manner, in that setting was accomplished the conversion of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Became known as the Prince of Preachers. At the age of 19, became pastor of the New Park Street Chapel. Later on, be called the Metropolitan, became the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Preached to crowds of 20,000 outdoors at the age of 23. Built a 5,000-seat auditorium. Asked his members to stay home on Sunday nights so sinners could come in and have a place to hear the gospel. Used to have to have a ticket to get to his church. No cost, but you had to have a ticket. His sermons were transcribed and put in volumes. I have probably all of them that he ever preached and, and many preach. Every preacher I know has some of them. They all know about them. What if? What if there had been no labor that Sunday? What if they said, well, the preacher's not here. We'll read a psalm and sing a couple songs and go home. Labors are really important. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. It'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Lord, guide me as I extend the invitation, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if you're here this evening. You say, Brother Oletta, I'm not saying I never miss and I'm not saying I'm perfect about it. But it is my regular practice to go out sometime each week sharing the gospel as a part of my, the ministry of my church. If you can say that, would you hold up your hand? I do that on a weekly basis. Thank you. I could tell you stories all night of amazing things God did when I shared the gospel. I won't tell them to you now. I don't think they matter. I think they might help, but they matter at this point. But I wonder, I wonder if you'd start with this. Let me ask a second question. How many say it is my regular practice to pray that God will send laborers into his harvest field? If you could say that, would you slip your hand up high? Thank you. Most of you just like I was. We knew the verse was there. We thought it was a good slogan for a missions conference. But we didn't take it as a literal command, which it is. And so on my daily prayer list, I have different prayer lists for different days of the week, but I have a, one I pray every day, pray through every day. Before I pray for my wife, before I pray for our children, our grandchildren, my relatives, the staff and deacons at our church, some of my preacher friends, before I pray for any of those, I pray for laborers. I wonder who would say this. I wonder who would say, Brother Willette, I'm going to begin daily praying for laborers. 
I haven't done it. Couldn't say I have, but I see the Bible says to do it. Jesus asks me to do it, and so I'm going to do it. Pray for me. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. And then I wonder who would say this. I could not say that I have a regular time to go soul winning. But I want to begin doing that. The preacher will help you figure something else. Something out. He'll work it out with your schedule. Who would say, I don't have a regular time that I go, but I'm going to covenant. I'd like you to commit that for the rest of your life you go soul winning sometime every week. I recognize it's difficult to make an open-ended promise like that. So would you do this? Would you promise God that for the next 13 weeks, unless you're providentially hindered, there'll be some time you go out representing the Lord Jesus in your church to share the gospel with people. You say, Brother Lord, I haven't been doing that, but God can count on me. My preacher can count on me. The church can count on me. I'll commit for the next 13 weeks at least to do that unless I'm providentially hindered. You'll be out of town sometimes. You'll be sick sometimes to work sometimes, but otherwise, you if you'll do that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. 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 Now, some of us didn't raise our hands, and you're not bad people. Just don't know what you'd say, feel like you couldn't do it. Somebody suggest something to you. If the preacher and I went out together knocking on doors, talking to people in the yards. Only one of us would talk at a time. So if we each took a silent partner, somebody who would just go along and smile, we'd go twice as many places, talk to twice as many people, probably see twice as many folks saved. Say, Brother Willette, I didn't raise my hand before and say I'd go. I'm a little nervous about it, but I could be a silent partner, and I'll promise you the preacher will work it out, hook you up with somebody else who do the talking. You say, I'll do that. If you do that, would you hold your hand up high? God can count on me for that. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And then I want to ask you another question. I wonder if you know somebody who needs Jesus. I will tell you one story. On my way home from a Monday, Tuesday meeting while I was still pastoring, the secretary asked me to call a lady. She said, uh, my sister-in-law's dying. She has cancer. Three priests have been by to see her, and each one left her more confused than the one before. Would you go see her and give her the gospel? The lady called me. It was Beth Laframboise. Her husband, Chris, was from a large Catholic family, I think nine, ten children, and he and one sister were saved, and the rest of the family wasn't happy about it. I said, sure. I flew in that Wednesday. My wife met me at the church. We went up to see Julie White. I hoped her mother wouldn't be there because I knew her mother would be very antagonistic. Knocked on the door, and Julie let us in. I said, I'm Pastor Willette. This is my wife, Chrissy. Your sister-in-law, Beth, asked us to come pray with you. There she sat in a wheelchair, a wig covering her bald head, body as emaciated as a concentration camp survivor. And I said, uh, Beth said, you're having a hard time. Can we do anything for you? And Julie looked up at me from the wheelchair, and she said, I'm scared to die. 
I said, well, I think I can help you with that. Now, her mother was there. But what's she going to say now? I said, I can show you from the Bible how to know for sure you'll go to heaven when you die. Would you like to see that? Oh, she said, I'd sure like to see that. Opened the Bible, gave her the gospel. When I give people the gospel, I explain to them what it would be like to ask the Lord to save them. We're not saved by praying. We're saved by believing in the Lord Jesus. But it's not at all inappropriate to pray, asking the Lord to save us. God, be merciful to be a sinner. That prayer's in the Bible. And I usually tell the people the prayer ahead of time and say, could you say that and be sincere about it? Let them know saying the words doesn't save you, but meaning what the words say does. So I started to do that with Julie. I said, Lord, Julie, if somebody wants to ask the Lord to be their Savior, we pray something like this, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. And she said, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I said, I don't deserve to go to heaven. She said, I don't deserve to go to heaven. Well, by this time I had my head bowed. My eyes closed, and I repeated the whole prayer, and she repeated it after me. We got done, I said, Julie, did you just mean what you said? Yes. Did you say that from your heart to God? Yes. According to the Bible, where would you go if you die right now? She said, I'd go to heaven. And I just had one of these flashes of thought, and I looked at her mother, and I said, Mrs. Laframboise, while we prayed that prayer, did you pray it as well and ask Jesus to save you? And she said, yes, I did. I said, Julie, can we do anything else before we go? And she said, yeah, write those verses in my Bible. And she sent my wife into her bedroom, brought out a precious moment's New King James Bible and wrote the verses in the front of it. Now, here's the deal. You could have led her to Christ. Anybody could have led her to Christ. All God needed was a laborer. Not everybody you talk to is that open, but some people are. And you never know who is and who isn't until you start talking to them. I wonder who would say this, Brother Willette, there's somebody God's put in my heart and my mind that I know that needs the gospel. And I'm going to commit within the next 14 days to get the gospel to them. You see, your preacher's got a book probably that has the gospel done or paid in full or something like that. You can send them. You can go talk to them. You can call them on the phone. You can email them. A lot of ways you can do it, but you say, somehow I'll get them the gospel in the next 14 days. So somebody like that, God's impressed upon your heart, and you say, God can count on me. I'm going to, with his help, get the gospel to them in the next two weeks. If, if there is, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you about that. God bless you. Father, I ask that you'd help these who've committed to be part of a regular soul winning time. And those who said they'd be a silent partner in that time, Lord, would you give them power and give them victories and give them good days as they go out to share the gospel. Give them souls. Lord, I pray for those who've said somebody's on my heart and I pray now that you'd begin to work in the spirit and soul of that person and make them open to the gospel. I pray that many of them would be saved. Give power and wisdom to each one who shares the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to pray for laborers and help us to realize we are to make the prayer, but we are a part of the answer to the prayer as well. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? Heads bowed, eyes closed, the music plays. Spirit of God's dealt with you. You need to use the altar. You come ahead. You want to pray for that person that God's put on your heart. It'd be a good thing to start tonight by asking God to save them.